So last week we learned that the storms that we see in the Bible were not necessarily uh, used to tell us how he can calm every storm. But rather, every time Christ was involved in a storm with the disciples, we recognized it was because they could not handle the storm. And last week, we didn't learn until the end that once the Holy Spirit began to infill and dwell in believers, were they given the ability to go through a storm um, without needing God to stop the storm? And that was with Paul in the book of Acts. Finally, believers are saying, even though the storm is here, I know by faith I'm going to do exactly what the Lord has called me to do and is asking of me. This is a challenge for uh, modern church. It's a challenge for African-Americans because of our years of uh, disenfranchisement and slavery and our struggle to climb to get some basic uh, equality. We often feel that we need a miracle to break through some of the things that we've had to suffer. And now that we have uh, broken through, for the most part, some of those ceilings and problems, we still hold on to the idea that every struggle needs to be removed from us. And it happens in the black church because that is, that is where our faith grew here in, in, in the United States. This is not to say that Christianity is a white man's religion, is it? it is because you have learned in discipleship class that uh, Orthodox Christianity was founded on the north end of what? The continent of Africa. And people in the Western countries came to Africa in order to learn of Christ and this Christianity. But it is to say that our ancestors um, from Africa to here, 400 years plus slavery, a couple hundred more um, of, of racism, have struggled to say the least. And sometimes you struggle so much you don't know when to stop struggling. Yeah. You're in need so much that you don't know when to stop needing. Hello? No? Y'all don't want to go there? Yeah. It's all right. It's okay. You know, there's a time when the Lord blesses you, and there's a time when you need to be a blessing. Amen. And in our faithfulness to the Lord, we don't really get that right all the time, right? We say, keep blessing me, keep blessing me, keep blessing me, keep blessing me, bigger, better. I don't know why this keeps happening to me. The Lord just keeps blessing me, enlarging my territory. And we forget that there's a whole other aspect of our relationship with God that he intends for us to be a blessing to him and to others. Yes? It's hard to be a blessing to others when you feel like you're always lacking. So then the indwelling of the spirit of God shows us that we are not lacking in any way, shape or form with the hopes that we might have the liberty to be a blessing the way he's asked us to be. But that that doesn't happen very often and not as often as we would like. So that was last week, Reformation through storms. This week, um, our lesson and topic today is a little bit pragmatic, uh, which means it's very practical in its usage. Um, I wish I could preach it. Don't think I can. <laughs> um, but it's, it will be a lesson taught. Amen. It's a topic that I enjoy because <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about being a human. So today we're going to look at reformation through habits. This has mixed reviews, I see. <laughs> mixed reviews in the family, okay. I like habits. Some of y'all, I know you're not there yet. Hopefully by the end of the message, you too will like them as well. 
I like habits. I like what they're capable of doing, all right? A habit could help you to scale a mountain, right? Habits can help you to do something that seems formidable and practically impossible. A good habit could cause you to do that. The problem is that most of us don't have enough good habits. When we did our financial workshop, you know, the ones that were scarcely attended by those who needed it. <laughs> that was funny. I need help with my finances. Pastor, can we meet? I just had a whole workshop on that to which you did not attend. Hello? But those that did, we asked the question, um, list some of your good habits. And they were stuck not being able to list good habits. I mean, just pages empty. And my heart broke, because I'm like, oh my God, you got a lot of bad habits. But you don't have many good habits. So let's see how this pairs off in your life. Let's go ahead and pull out your journals. And give me a list. I'm not gonna check it, unless you need me to. No, I don't need you to, I'm not doing it. Give me a list of your bad habits. You got about 30 seconds on that. <laughs> Then give me a list of your good habits. All right, you done? I'm finished the rest at home, guys, okay? Just give us a synopsis. Go back to it at home, okay? This is, I'm not going to write a paragraph here. All right. As we go through the topic today, I want you to pick one habit that is bad to remove and then one habit that you wish you had to do. Hear me when I tell you one. Sometimes we pick far too many, all right? Master one, then move on to another. Yes? yes. Just one, not five. I'ma eat right, work out, I'ma also wake up early, I'ma do, see that's too many, okay, that's too many. If you were never able to do them, then trying to do all of them in one month is not gonna happen consistently. You need to understand the limitations of your willpower. Yeah. And every human being has limitations. It's only so much willpower you have throughout the day. Amen? So use that to your advantage, all right? Getting one down solid is life-changing, life-changing. But trying to do too many and failing at five is life-discouraging, yes? One, Jeremiah 13, 23, let's get into it. Jeremiah 13, 23, some of the key text scriptures we're going to look at today, says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. In essence, you can't expect that good is going to come from you when you practice evil. It's like a black person trying to change their skin color, a leopard trying to remove their spots. It's not possible. And sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves, yes, and recognize that we're not doing well. I think the biggest hindrance probably to habits being formed and removed is deception. Yeah? You know, in deception, you tell yourself stuff like, I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to get up on time, maybe, and I'm going to really do that. 
the idea here is that we tell ourselves a lie in the bed. We tell ourselves that all I need is 15 minutes. I don't need 30. Tell ourselves it's not really necessary for me to iron that shirt. You know, it's practically all right. Tell ourselves that if traffic is good, I might be all right. And before you know it, we have now drifted back to what we said we did not want to do. And it all happened because of lies and deceit. Because when you want what you want, it's easy to find reasons why it's okay to have them. And you can do it quickly. Your brain does it in a microsecond. It doesn't even care whether it's not logical. Nope. Because at that time, your emotions are satisfied with just some basic sentence that makes sense. I'm sure, you know, I could just get there and all the lights are going to be green. Now, you know, that's not. It's not. I'm sure there's no traffic in Atlanta. Really? You're sure there's no traffic? We lie to ourselves in the midst of trying to develop proper habits. Often when I um, counsel those of us who deal with habits that promote death, you know, sinful ones, I have to always ask, what were you thinking just before you committed this act? You like to tell yourself, I wasn't really thinking about nothing. This is a lie. You were thinking about a ton of things. You had so many thoughts and they happened so fast that you could barely recognize that they were thoughts. You just thought they were feelings. They were thoughts because thoughts create feelings and feelings do not create thoughts. In order to feel something, you had to think something. Now, this is a fact. Even though you like to believe that I felt this, then I thought this. That is a lie. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Sinful desires create discouragement. It is not the other way around. Another lie. I was discouraged, so I sinned. That is a lie. Sinful desires fuel discouragement. These are the lies we tell ourselves, right? So sometimes we have to get down to the lie that you keep telling yourself over and over again. And in practice, for those of us that have counseling sessions where we go over that, I tell you and ask you scripturally, what is the truth? Um, and for you, it might be a necessity for you to journal all the lies that you tell yourself when you're not changing your habit. And then journal beside that all of the truths in scripture as to why that's a lie. Sometimes you think that just repeating something to yourself is enough to address the lie. Isn't that right, CC? But it is not. Just because you tell yourself, I'm not going to do it, 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 does not mean you're not going to do it. More than likely, you will do it because your only focus is on it. I'm not going to do it. I am going to do it. Same, same. The focus is on the it. If you want to not do it, then you have to focus on the truth. The Lord is holy, so be that holy. The Lord is holy, so be that holy. Now that will address the lie. Yeah. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not. That's not going to stop you from getting mad. I cannot preach this. I'm trying to teach this to you. All right. But a good scripture, like be angry, but don't sin. Is an applicable truth to that that you then have to meditate on. Yes. So for those of us that are trying to change one habit as you are instructed today, maybe listing all of the lies that you tell yourself when you want to participate in this habit and then listing the truths. Now, this notebook has to be 
on your hip. Maybe put it in your cell phone, okay? Because at the split second, you got to pull this bad boy up. Trying to just do it off the top of your head is not going to happen in the beginning. You got to sit there like a spaz and be like, and the Bible says. And initially, when you read this truth, you will be unmotivated, unchanged. You'll feel like I read it and it did nothing. But this is the problem of habits. Amen? Amen. Let's look at another scripture. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The idea of being conformed means that there is consistent pressure. All right? To be conformed means there was a consistent pressure. Over time, it just kept pushing you in that direction. So sporadic pressure in reverse is not going to affect consistent pressure. Y'all don't want to help me today. Hello? Okay, I'm going to do it again. To be conformed means that there is consistent pressure shaping and pushing. So to have sporadic or spontaneous pressure the other way is not going to actually push against the being conformed. Yes? So what am I trying to walk you to? Consistency. 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 That's tough. See, I like consistency. You already know this about me. Being a pastor, I tell people, if you want to be a pastor, the ones that coming out of this sweet complex here with high hopes of having some awesome congregation filled to the brim with an auditorium, auditorium of thousands. If they ever ask, what do you need? I will tell you it's consistency. And many of the pastors have failed within the first year because no one taught them that you do the same thing every day of every week of every year. And they sit in my office crying, I just can't do it anymore. It's like every week I have to say, are you coming to church? And every week I got to call and see if they're going to come. And every week it's the same problem. And every when I'm thinking, who trained you? <laughs> the kingdom of God in church is nothing but consistency. Right? Leaders in this house have to develop. Consistency. That's why we don't have many. Consistency is key. The doors are always what? Open, 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 open. Okay? Same time. Same place. Every week. Hello? Openness. Consistency is key. John C. Maxwell said, the secret to your success is found in your daily routine. The secret to your success is found in your daily routine. Will Durant said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is an act. It's not an act, but a habit. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. Do you hear that? Everybody strives for excellence, but very few of them get past one action towards it. In order to do anything excellently, you have to have a habit of doing it. James Clear says, if you have good habits, time becomes your ally. All you need then is patience. I love habits. And now with my medication, um, with mommy's passing, <laughs> his habits and 
Systems are key. Every day I have to find some new system to help my memory. On, on last week I forgot my glasses and I swore they were at the church because I couldn't find them and I had a whole team scouting for my glasses in the wee hours of the night only to find that they were in my closet in a drawer under some shirts. Don't really know when I put it there but I recognize it was there. The following morning, I was looking for the batteries that I intended to replace the scale so I could check my weight every morning as a habit and realized I couldn't find the batteries. Then the next morning, I realized that they were in the washing machine. I do not know how they got there. If you knew me before my mom's passing, this is not like me at all. I was an A-type personality, strict to the point, could remember everything and anything out of place. Now I forget to put on shoes, okay. Something had to go, all right? Had to keep the good information and necessities and all the extra stuff, it just flees. So now I have to develop systems for everything that I do. It's like cocaine that I never thought I needed because I love systems. If you want to find a thriving church, it's not in the charisma of the pastor. It's in the systems that promote the vision of the church. It's always in the systems. I know so many pastors that should be churches out, I mean, just busting out the seams. Bad administration. Systems not in place, right? Systems are paramount for anything done excellently. Not inspiration. Not motivation. It's systems and habits. To all of you that are drama-led, you know who you are. How do you know if you have a good appetite for drama? Because you procrastinate. If you're a procrastinator, then this means you have and are motivated by drama. Because you had the money to pay the bill, but you waited to the last minute. Procrastination and drama. You knew you needed to iron the clothes, but you waited to the last second. Procrastination and drama. If you are big on procrastination, you love drama. It, it inspires you and motivates you. You think you do best under pressure. Lies, lies, and more lies. No one does their best under pressure. Everyone does their best with planning and preparation. But these are the lies you tell yourself. I'm good, I'm good at multitasking. Lies, lies, and more lies. Any attention divided is not as good as 100% attention on one thing. That's just mathematical science for you right there, okay? You divide 100, it's not as much as 100. See, see how that doesn't even make any sense? Lies, lies, and more lies. You're not good under pressure. Huh? You're just capable under pressure. And the standard that you set your, for yourself is so low that just getting it done is considered success. Just getting it done. Here at Renew, we plan and replan. Why do we plan? We plan because there are always things that we can account for, and we use the extra time of pushing for things that we cannot account for because problems are expected, so thus you have no unexpected problems. Just poor preparation. Can't you tell I love this topic? I love, I love habits. Shamar came to the house the other day and 
We walked in the house the other day. He said, cuz, every time we come in the house, it's the same. The same music cuts on because it's... <laughs> Music cuts on when I pull in my driveway. The same house looks the same. The living room looks the same. The dining room looks the same. The kitchen is the same. The bedroom is the same. The dogs are the same. Everything is the same. I said, yes, don't you love it? He said, I don't know. I just know that it's different for me. I said, that's all right. You're going to learn to love it. You're going to get a wife and be like, why every time I come home, nothing is in the same place? And I'll be over there laughing. I did that to him. Now he likes structure, order, dependency, and consistency. Everybody loves this, but very few have the tenacity it takes to actually do it. What most of you love about me as your pastor personally is that I'm consistent. You never have to figure me out, even though some of the new people think that you do. You don't. You don't have to figure me out. I tell you exactly what I want to tell you. I'm not going to feel some sort of way and then you not know it. I will tell you exactly how I feel exactly. off the top. If you ask me, Pastor, did I do something? I will tell you the truth. Yes, you did or no, you did not. Don't ever have to wonder. Because I think making people wonder about where they are in your life is yeah. manipulative. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Making people wonder about where they are in your life is manipulative. Hmm. It's a form of control. It says, I'm going to make you focus on this so you can't focus on anything else in hopes that you might do exactly what I need you to do the way I need you to do it. But when you tell somebody how you feel and where they are, they get to make, they have the freedom of choice on their end and it is no longer up to you. That's proper living. I love habits. I do. They're great. Yes. Some of you are so tense right now that it is ridiculous. I mean, what do you think that's going to happen? Rejecting it out of emotion is just another habit. As soon as I hear something I don't like, I shut down. Habit. When we get on this topic, I tense up. Habit. Right? Our habits shape our days, our days shape our seasons, our seasons shape our years, and our years shape our lives. And when all is said and done, our lives will shape our eternities. Uh, this is a quote by uh, Noah Heron, a wonderful book I read this week I'm on, on holy habits. Got a couple of them I want to share with you guys today, but first let's just understand the importance of habits. Show me what you repeatedly do, he says, and I'll show you who you'll eventually become. Ooh. It's so painfully true, isn't it? So painfully true. Show me what you repeatedly do, and I'll show you who you'll eventually become. This is a fact. This is not an opinion. If you take a habit, a good one, a holy one, and you add the presence of the Lord, you will have life transformation. Now, a habit without the presence of the Lord does not transform your life. It trains your life. 
Hello? You can train your life like a monkey or a dog with treats. You have been trained. But to be transformed, you need that same habit with the presence of the Lord. What I love to check people on, especially people like Sister Glenda, is the idea of religiosity and self-righteousness. Quite often, it's a habit that we want to put into place without the actual consent of the Lord or his presence, but rather some selfish ambition that we are trying to strive for. You need the presence of God with that habit in order to actually be transformed into that particular characteristic. But just doing it without the presence of the Lord in the midst of it does not transform you. It just trains you. And this means when it comes to training and you can't get the treat that you wanted to get or you can't get the reward that you wanted to get or it doesn't really work the way you wanted it, you will always revert back to doing it the way you were not trained. Yeah. Yeah. I found that eating right and working out had to be submitted to the Lord, not to me. Getting fine for getting fine's sake was never, never enough. It was ups and downs all the time. Ups and downs, you know. Gain 10, lose 2. <laughs> Gain more, 10 more, lose 2. Right? Every year it's a new diet, new goal. Right? But when I decided at the start of this church that my weight will be in the Lord's hands. As I served him, I had dramatically different results. I said, Lord, I would like to be able to serve you, and I'd also like to be able to be healthy. When serving does not allow me to work out, please don't let me gain any weight. And then when I have the time to work out again, please let me work out. Not to be fine, hello, even though that's a great perk. Not to be sexy, even though that is a great perk. All of this is going to waste because I am a pastor in this frolicly looking glitter dress with pants down to my ankles. It serves no purpose other than the idea that my congregation could also strive to be healthy. So now I don't do it for myself as much as I do it as an example for those that are struggling against laziness and gluttony within the United States of America. Once I decided that, I realized, oh, okay, it works now. It works. Sometimes we want habits just to make us better, but that is not a kingdom citizen. A habit is done in order to show or reflect the glory of God. Selfish intentions and motivations are not going to give you his spirit, and you need his spirit for the transformation. Everybody will give you glory, right? Well, what's your, what's your schedule? What's your do? What's your, what's your routine? How do you do? What do you eat? You know, and they're coming to you for all the, the diet tricks and, and all that, you know, and everybody's just talking about how good you are at it. But when you know it was the Lord and see people ask, well, what do you do? Be like, I do not know. The Lord just blessed me. I don't even know how he could do it. It always goes back to the Lord because you know you really don't understand how it happened. Always plugging away at that self-righteousness and the need to make something of yourself in order to have the proper identity. Tough. The reality is that especially in America in this time, we can get anything we want relatively quickly. That is one of the blessings and curses of being an American. A first world nation. One of the very few first world nations on the entire continent, I mean on the entire globe, is, is America. 
right? Whatever we want, we can find a way to get it quick. You want to lose weight? You know how long it takes to lose like 100 pounds? Almost a year or two years plus. But we'll be like, you know what? You get this surgery, take this pill, snip that, cut that, boom. You can have it done in six months. Six months, whole hundred, done. What I found out about that snipping is that all they do is really make you sick. So every time you want to eat, you feel sick. But I figure if I'm going to suffer anyway, I might as well just make myself suffer. Ooh, I can't eat. I'm sick. <laughs> but this idea of quick quickness is for those who do not have the ability to do anything long term. They have the same desires as everybody else, but not the ability to do anything long term. I am talking to you because you know you suffer with this. How do I know you suffer with this? Because I know you. I know you, baby. I know you. I watch your cycles year after year. I watch your progression and then your digression year after year after year. This message is for you. In America, you can get whatever you want relatively quickly. But that is not how things work with God. Nope. The problem with Christians nowadays is not the idea that they don't know or desire a personal relationship with God. Christians in this house all desire a personal relationship with God. You crave it. You want it. The problem is that you think it happens quickly. You think it happens quick. Like as soon as my heart meets in condition, hello? And then I start getting fired up. You know, everybody been there. I got fired up, start buying five different types of Bibles. I got three books on Amazon. I got my kneeling pillow for prayer. I am going to prayer on Sunday, waking up at 6 a.m. on my morning devotion. I got a prayer line on Thursday. I'm in church on Wednesday. I'm fired up. And unfortunately, if you're not taught the truth about our relationship with God, you will fail. Because you're just one test, one temptation, one discouragement, one disappointment away from everything falling apart. Here at Renew, I teach the new believers not to be a rocket. I said this all my life. I said Christians become rocket ships. I'm on fire with the Lord, going to new heights, higher heights, and then come crashing down. Going back up. Jesus, 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 I got it today. Oh, I think I'm Sometimes you go up even higher and stay up even longer. But unfortunately, because you got up so fast, you're going to come down just as fast. I say what I try to teach is stability. Like an airplane rather than a rocket ship, you rise to a certain altitude. You maintain that altitude when that has been maintained. Then you rise to another altitude and you maintain that altitude. If you try to go to altitudes too fast, you get sick. Similarly, if you're a scuba diver and you drop down too fast, you could die. There has to be something very clear about descent. It's a method to it. It's a method to how a scuba diver gets to the bottom of the ocean to take pictures. They have to time themselves and allow their lungs and their body to adjust to these new depths. 
I would tell you that the problem of most Christians nowadays is not a desire for a relationship with God, but a lack of depth. It's so shallow. It's so surface. And you don't intend for this to happen. You really think that you're in it. Do you understand? That you're doing all the things that you need to do. That this is a deep relationship with God until something happens and everything about what you were doing comes to a halt. You're stuck going, what did I do wrong? What did I go wrong? What do I need to do? What's wrong with me? Did I not really get saved? Is it not really true? And all this begins to really mess with your brain. It's because no one taught you that depth takes time. Takes time. An intimate relationship with anyone takes consistency and time. That's why most of y'all fall into sin and toxic relationships in the first place. Because you run in too fast, too hot, too soon. Okay, this is everything about me. This is who I am. This is what I love. This is what I want to be in God. This is what I want to do in five to ten years, thirty years. What about you? Well, this is what I want to do. This is what I love. This is who I think God wants me to be. This is where I want to go. This is all my secrets, all my past. Ah. I set parameters of wisdom for some of our singles. First, go out in the daytime until they can come to church, especially the ladies. If a man can't come to church and ask your father to take you out, you ain't going. Amen. A man that don't want to see me eye to eye and want to date you cannot be trusted. Because I'm going to look into a soul. <laughs> Same thing with these women, which are all my men. Now, men can go out, women outside this church, that's perfectly fine. Do not bring her in here unless you are serious. Because I will devour her. I will. I will. You have to get that strong connection with this woman first. Because when she meets me, she's never going to be good enough for you. And that's going to discourage her. And she's not going to like the idea that I'm tugging on you and she's tugging on you. But if she's the one for you, she's going to remain. But I am turning up the heat. You understand? What is hard is that you don't recognize that true intimate relationships take a lot of consistency and a lot of time. I mean, you could go ahead and get married because you don't want to be sinning, but that does not mean that you have an intimate marriage. Does not mean that. Intimacy takes consistency and what? Time. Deep relationship with God works the same way. You are not going to have the depth of God that you think you want, ought to have because you started reading the book of Job. <laughs> People just got saved three years ago. But like, I hear the Lord say, shut up. That's what you need to hear him say, hush, 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 hush. This is not to say you don't hear him. This is to say that you do not have the amount of intimacy to verify what he is saying that you think you heard is true. Hello? In, in true, any true relationship, the, way, the more you get to know a person, the more you get to know what they're saying that they ain't saying. You know, consistently listening to you, consistently watching you. You can say, ah, ha, 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 but, but you know that ain't funny. You can say, sure, babe, but you know they don't mean sure. You know this because of the amount of consistency and time you've spent together. Right? Same thing with the voice of God. 
as believers, yes, you can hear the Lord's voice. Now, hearing what he said and understanding what he meant by it, two different things. So while you could have heard him, but how to use it, that comes with wisdom and intimacy. Right? Not just because you heard something. Because anything that we see that is a sign from the Father is strategically based off of our interpretation. And our interpretation is based off of our heart, not our intellect. Right? All signs are interpreted by us as a condition of the heart. Yes? Mm. So now if you think you're closer than you really are, and you think this is what the Lord wants and he doesn't want, then you're going to keep reading into the sign the same thing. Yes? And then maybe you can talk to somebody who has a closer relationship with him and they can say, yeah, about that. That's probably not exactly what he meant. How do you know? Because I've known him for a very long time. How long have you known him? I remember I was talking to a guy. He said, I studied the Bible. I was in prison. Now I'm telling you, that Bible stuff ain't real. I was like, okay, you studied the Bible? Yeah, I read the Bible three times. Okay, you read the Bible three times. That's not the same as studying it for 20 plus years. Studying the Bible and reading the Bible, two different things. Study to show thyself approved, not read to show that. What he's saying is you have to go deeper in order to really understand any concept of God. And that depth takes time. The reason you keep failing is because you keep bypassing the idea of consistency and the amount of time it takes for this consistency. I'm trying to be honest. You don't want honesty. You want more, you know, emotionalization. You want, you want me to tell you that a good deliverance is all you need. Hello? An encounter with Jesus and his spirit will set you free. But it is our spiritual habits that keep us free. An encounter with the Spirit of God will set you free. But it is your spiritual habits that will keep you free. An encounter with Jesus introduces you to him. But our daily habits allow us to get to know him. Our daily habits did that. Was I not really delivered? You were very much so delivered. You had no consistency in your habits. Not your spiritual ones. Because the issue here that we run into is when we're doing a habit and we don't see results. In our mind, we're already on a scale. As imperfect as that scale might be of how much time and effort should be needed in order for me to get this particular result. Now, your scale is already off. Number one, the consistency. That's off. The amount of time is off. There's a lot of things about your scale that is not quite correct. So when you think you've done something for so long and tried so hard with your whole heart, and I really believe with my whole heart, I really meant it this time, and I really, really tried, and I'm like, yeah, I know. But I did try, Pastor, and it didn't work. I know. So what do I need to do? Do it again. But I tried that. I know. You have not tried it enough. You haven't tried it enough. What made you think that you could have a horrible habit in your life, 
for 20, 30 plus years. And in six months of trying, it's going to be completely eradicated from you. You could smoke weed since you were 12 years old. Get saved and think that after a year of smoking weed, you ain't going to go back to it. Even the math ain't mathing. The lies we tell ourselves. Maybe we should come up with more realistic years. You understand? How many years was I doing it? Hello? And then maybe I need to do that plus some to stop doing it. I mean, I would even double it. Because realistically speaking, doing it gave you so much pleasure. Right? So it was easy to keep doing it. Not doing it will not give you the same type of pleasure initially. So it's going to take longer because this is not necessarily something you would want to do. Do you not like realistic time frames? I could tell right now you're already tensing up and having a problem with this. Don't be real with me. Give me the lies. Manja, manja, manja. Give me the deception so I can leave and say hallelujah and amen. You were sexing around for 20 years? Never really controlled the flesh for a good 15? Pastor, it's been eight months since I had sex. <laughs> oh my God, you're still counting. That's so funny. You're still counting. Like at some, you're not ready until you can no longer count. Like you done lost track of the amount of years. Not months, not days. No, no, you guys are not liking this. No, no. Consistency leads to intimacy. Consistency leads to intimacy. This is the generation of those that really want community. This is the generation that craves relationship, like actual family and connection, you crave it. Social media doesn't give you a connection. It gives you a false sense of connection and you can feel it so then you want real connection. So this entire generation, if pastor's really smart, they'd recognize this entire generation craves connection. But the problem is that the same generation does not like connection because it causes them to remove some of their freedoms. Hello? Because community inevitably limits freedom and governs choice. And y'all hate that. Oh, y'all hate that with a passion. I, don't, I, I just feel like you're trying to impose something on me I just feel like that's not really the kind of person that I am. I just feel like, you know, I'm supposed to have freedom and liberty, and I just feel like you're, you're, you're binding me. I, I just feel like you're, you're really trying to just close me and, and control me in such a way. And I'm like, I didn't say nothing. It's just, it's just it's what you do. It's, it's not really what you said. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just what you do. I'm like, well, did I tell you you couldn't do this? You didn't really tell me I couldn't do it. It's just that I can feel that I'm not supposed to. Also, you feel the effects of community. You feel the effects of community, and it challenges your self-identity, which, by the way, was very flippant in the first place. 
I mean, you and I both know your sense of identity is so lackluster, but yet you will fight to keep it. I mean, you barely know it. And the parts you do know, you don't even like yourself. But you will fight tooth and nail not to lose that. Because you just understand it. You crave intimate relationships, but you are afraid of the type of limitations it puts on your life. You can't have both. You can't have both. You can't have somebody that really, 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 really knows you and really, 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 really down for you and it not change how you decide things, how you live your personal life, how you feel about things. You can't have both. Is this, is this, is this opening your mind up a little bit? You say stuff like, I just put up walls. What you're really telling me is, I never like to change for anybody else. I am selfish and self-sufficient. That's what putting up walls, you thought it was a victim part. I put up walls because people have hurt me. No, you put up walls because you don't like to change for anybody else but you. And you're afraid that people actually saw you. Oh, I put them up because I'm afraid if they saw who I really was, they'd reject me. No, you put them up because if they saw who you really were, you'd be forced and inclined to change, and you don't like that type of pressure. It ain't the fact that anybody really rejected you when they saw your mess. It's the idea that they held you accountable and they saw something that made you feel uncomfortable that nobody should see. And now they're not really rejecting you. You just start backing up. You just start saying, it just seems different every sense. It just seems different every sense. It just seems. I'm, I'm, I'm back up. I'm back up. I came back up to my spot. I am back up in my spot. I'm back up in my spot. It's the truth. I know because you think when you say these to me, you're like, oh, see, Pastor, these are my problems. I'm like, you don't even know the half of what your real problem is. But these are the lies that you tell yourself. And some of you, it ain't even the idea that you don't want to change for anybody else, per se. It's the idea that you don't like that somebody gets to have an opinion about you. Some of y'all got it real bad. I'm not me. Okay, have you ever said, it's just that sometimes I don't like how people, I don't want them to think this about me. I don't want them to think this about me. I don't want to think. You don't want them to think something about you? Okay, this is the controlling tendency you have where you don't like people to have an opinion of you that you did not want them to have. My goodness, you're so controlling. You have to control what people think in themselves about you. And I'd be looking at you, what's wrong with you? Well, I know that's what I don't want people to be thinking because that's what they be thinking. I'd be like, so? It ain't so. That's not good. What? Whether it's good or bad is irrelevant. People have a right to have their own opinions. They have a right to have an opinion about you. You are not invisible. But you're trying to live like you just blend into everything everybody wants and everything everybody likes. You are bound. 
People have opinions about me all the time. And they change. Monthly. One day I'm your best friend. Oh, the pastor, I love her so much. Oh, my God. The next day, I can't. You know what? Ever since that time, because she always think, and I'm not going to try to talk about the woman of God, but you know sometimes. Now, listen very carefully. I do not care. I careth not about your opinion of me. There's only one opinion I care about. And his is consistent. Not only do I not care about it, I think that you have a personal right and it is healthy for you to establish your own opinions of me as your pastor. Hello? And it is unhealthy for me to try to manipulate that opinion when it really isn't who I am. So I tell you all my mistakes. At midnight, pastor gonna start cussing. (laughs) Her antidepressants have worn off and she's gonna cuss like a sailor. It's all gonna come out at midnight. It's like the reverse of Cinderella. Just if you out of house, time to go. All right, good night, Pastor. All right, MF, you better go ahead and go. I'm just, I'm just a pastor trying to make it, man. I'm just. I'll tell you what I, you know, that ain't even right. That ain't even right. I know, I know. I know. You have, you have the right to have that opinion of me. And it's not. One day I'm really going to stop. One day my change going to come. If you knew me, this was never a problem. Before Mother Hudson passed. But nevertheless, amen? Not, not excusing it, I'm just explaining it. But people have a right to have an opinion about you. And you are putting yourself in bondage trying to portray a certain thing that you might control their opinion and view of you. In this house, I try to alleviate that amount of pressure by telling you exactly what I think of you. I tell you flat out, you don't have to worry. That way, you're free. You're free. You don't have to look at everything I do. Did she say it like that because of that? Did she not do that because of this? Did she say that? Be-, be free. That's exhausting. I'm exhausting thinking of all the things you're thinking of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Be free. Yes. And have whatever crazy opinions you want of me. It's perfectly fine. The caveat here is keep them to yourself. And when you start spreading it in the house, you become problematic. A little bit of a cancer. A little bit of a virus. Yes. It's not healthy. It is healthy for your opinions of me to change. It is not healthy for you to vocalize every time they change. Yeah. You have as much leeway to have the wrong opinion of me as often as you like. You do not have leeway to express it. Not here. Leave the church. Then say, tell everybody you have that right. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's move on. Consistency leads to intimacy. The problem is depth. Go to Job chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. Job chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. I've got to hurry. I have been on this point way too long. The habit of growing deep. For there is hope for a tree. If it be cut down, that it will sprout again. And that its shoots will not cease. 
Though its roots grow old in the earth and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. This is the habit of growing deep. Trying to show fruit too soon indicates that your roots are not very deep. I have more trust in people that I've seen fail for several years before I have trust in people that look like they're succeeding in six months. Y'all don't like this about me. Because you know that I have so much tolerance for people that you see fail. Over and over and over and over. And you be like, Pastor, why you even let that happen? Pastor, I don't even know why you let that happen. And I'm like, I trust them way more than I trust you because at least I see them trying to get roots year after year after year. Failure after failure. They're never giving up. No, we don't see no fruit on the top. But if you know like I know, I see roots growing deep down to the bottom. If you'll fail in this house over and over and over again, you got deep roots. This, this ain't an easy church to fail at. Number one, we small as heck. One slip up, everybody gonna know. About five of them, everybody know all five. Everybody has an established opinion. Careful now, because what you don't do is bring your opinion to who? No, no, ma'am, no, sir. Sit on down. You have a right to have opinions about one another, but I will tell you to your face, you're making me uncomfortable. I just don't like how they, shut up. Go on over there. That's my baby. You ain't got to understand my baby. I'm your baby too. I know. And I won't let them say things about you. Even your jokes, I'll tell you, you're making me what? You're making me uncomfortable. You're making me uncomfortable. Careful. Watch it. Some people say something around me, and I say, hey, hey, hey. You can't, it's too much. You can't say that around me. Go on over there with your friends. Go over there with your peers. I'm not your peer. You can't say that kind of stuff around me. Do you understand? Because I'm going to hold you accountable. And by association, I don't want to think people to think that just because you said it around me that I, I feel the same way. Because you can tell a person by the people that they keep. And says, I can't get rid of you, just go over there and say that. Hello? Consistency yields strong character. I know you don't want to hear this, but your inconsistency is why you have such poor character. It's not, it's not what you're not doing. It's that you're not doing what you should be doing enough. You're just not doing it long enough. Long enough. Hello? Job talks about a tree when the roots are going down, even if you cut it down to the stump, even if the stump looks like it's dried out. As soon as water, just the smell of water, those roots start looking for water and searching and growing down further and further. And the thing that looked like it was dead actually sprouts up again. It is so important to have roots than it is to have fruit. Roots indicate that you'll always have fruit. Shallow roots mean you can only have maybe one season of fruit. Like I was doing good until, I was doing good until, but you give me somebody that keeps making mistakes over and over and trying over and over, I know one thing, when you got it, 
you got it. When you're finally free of it, you're finally free of it. And I don't ever have to worry. That's the way it works. The problem is that you don't know how much time this takes. It takes a long time. Now the issue with things that take a long time, as we move to the habit of hope, that was the habit of growing deep, to the habit of hope. The issue with things taking a long time is that if you don't see results, you get discouraged. Yeah. Now, when it comes to depth, depth is needed in order to have hope, right? But you don't have hope without consistency. It just doesn't go that way. So the problem when we fail is if you want to have consistency after you fail, that's where the, that's, that's the hiccup. Because when I fail, I just, I don't go right back to it. I don't go right back to hoping. I don't go right back. You know, the, the idea of repenting is that you turn away, we say, from the thing. But you're not just turning randomly away. Repentance means you're turning toward the Lord. So if you repent, but you're not praying like you used to, you have not turned away. Y'all not going to help me today. If you repent and you're not reading your Bible like you used to, you haven't really repented. If you repent and you're not going to church like you used to, you have not really repented because you have not made it a habit to turn from that thing and turn to the Lord. Let me show you something about the hiccups that take too long. Is when you make a mistake, you have to train yourself to have the habit of leaning and turning to the Father immediately. Yeah. Immediately. Now, I know this is probably nobody in this house, but sometimes you could struggle with something. Uh, let's say cake baking shows, because we got kids in the house. Yes? You struggle with making, you know, watching too many shows about baking cakes. You know, sweet cakes. Cakes with all types of icing and such. And you struggle with this. No? You know? It's not just that you make cakes with other people. You also watch too many cake baking shows. And as a believer, even before you got saved, you didn't feel right about this because sugar is bad. So you, you struggle with the idea that it's never right. I never think I should be doing it. And now that I'm a Christian, I really rededicated my heart to the Lord. Why do I keep going back to this thing? And you might have a season or a period of time where you're doing really good. You and the Lord are fired up. You're not even thinking about that cake. You don't want no cake. You're not even searching for it on your phone. You're perfectly fine until you're not. And out of nowhere, some desire, ancient, old, from six months ago. resurfaces and now it's a problem because you act, you actually indulge in the show and the guilt and the shame hits so bad that you start to pull away from the father the shame and guilt makes you feel like somehow you got to fix it before you go back to him you know you got to figure out what did I do wrong and how to not do that again before I actually feel like I can get back in his presence that's a lie that's a lie. 
That's a lie. The father always wants you to go back home quickly, immediately. Anytime you scrape and fall and bust your knee, even if it was your fault, he still wants you to come home and put a Band-Aid on it, not be out there bleeding. Times. I can't go home till I figure out how, what, what story am I going to tell today? How did I get there? Well, what happened was I can't go home till I figure it out. Now you're getting infections. Now you're making the situation worse, and you'll be surprised when you actually go back to your father that while he does not like what you did, his first concern is to heal the wound. And no, you cannot heal it for yourself. You ain't got a first aid kit. I'm trying to spit on a leaf and put it on there. You just go back home. You're coming up with stuff because you thought before you can go back home, you have to fix yourself. You need the habit of returning home quickly. Repenting quickly. I don't want to repent because I might do it again. Even if you repented wholeheartedly, you still might do it again. You don't, you've done that before, you know. Really repented, really got fired up and went back. You really thought, this is the time, this is the one, I'm not going, this is it. I feel it, I had a whole, whew, at the altar. Oh, my God, this is the one. And for some of you, you went right back. How you feel about your repentance and how sure it is, is not an indicator of whether you're going to go back. As a matter of fact, there is no indicator. The only thing you could develop is good, holy habits. You're looking for a sign to say you won't go back. There is none but your actual habit. That is the consistent sign you'll have in your life. Is the habits that the presence of the Lord is helping you to maintain. But whether you fall again or not, get back home quickly. Because that is the true indicator of your love relationship with the Father. That you know him so well that I don't care how bad it got. I can always go home. Now some of us weren't raised in the type of household that showed you that. You're not there anymore. You're here. And no matter how bad it gets, you can always come home. Always. Now, I might make you think you can never come back, but I'll talk to you every day to make sure you know that that door is still open. It's still open. You've got to know I need to come back quickly over and over and over and over and over. Now, that part from failing to coming back, failing and coming back, everybody hates that. Every believer hates that. But it is that trial and testing that is putting deep roots into you. You need that. Because we're not worried about the fruit. We're worried about the roots. We need that. That's what we need is deep roots. Not quick schemes. Right? 12-step programs. You know. Deliverance at the altar is great. But good spiritual habits are even better. When you return to the Father quickly and you repent and turn back to him quickly. So you could even have been watching a cake baking show. And as soon as you're done eating your cake, cupcake, I don't know what it is. As soon as you get done, you feel so bad. In that moment, repent. 
Rather than pulling back out of shame and trying to figure out how do I get out of this? What do I do? How do I evaluate? Is it scripture? Is it what the Bible say? Is it really right? Can I trust the Bible? Now you're in a whole theological debate after sin. That's a terrible place to be. Rather than doing all of that, go to him quickly. This habit will give you deep roots. I'm going to let that marinate for a second. It's not what you learn from it that's not going to give you deep roots. It's not the lessons that it showed you, because you learned stuff and you still did it. No. Turning to him quickly, developing a habit of hope in the Father will give you deep roots. And deep roots mean that you'll always be resurrected to new life. Always. Yeah? So now this turns consistency on its head. Now, consistency is not done for the goal. Consistency is done for the relationship. If you're consistent just to get to a goal, you will fail every time. If you're consistent because you want to form a relationship, you'll succeed. Your spiritual habits of consistency are not so that you could be delivered from something. It's not that. It's so that you could get closer to knowing who God is. That is the single most important thing. How you know him. People don't make it to heaven because he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you never what? Knew me. The whole goal is knowing him. And I don't mean at a surface level. Do you know how much it takes and how much you learn of God when after you just got done baking a cake, you be like, and dear Lord, I feel like an idiot asking you to forgive me yet again. I've counseled people that had to do that. I would tell them, call me immediately. I think I'm addicted to this thing. I said, well, if you do, you fall back in, just call me. Like right after, right after. Three o'clock in the morning, pastor, hey, it happened. Let's pray. And we pray. And you go to bed, and I'll see you in church the next day. That constant returning back to him quickly develops a type of relationship and strength that you have for him like none other. For example, if I kept offending Danny, right? Danny's super sweet. She's like, oh, Pastor, I love you. I'm like, shut up, Danny. Oh, Pastor, I love you. Shut up, Danny. I don't like you. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And shut up, Danny. I'm sorry. Shut up, Danny. I'm sorry. And if she still kept fooling up with me, shut up, Danny. Why you keep fooling up with me? You start seeing your own poor reflection and how you keep doing this to somebody that has proven that they really love you. See, the idea of going back to God the 50th time that you messed up allows him to yet prove again how much he loves you. And you need that more than you recognize. You need to know the depths of his love for you more than you recognize. You got a cutting point for his love for you and you don't even know it until you sin past that cutting point. Like, uh-oh. I wouldn't even forgive somebody like me. And then he does. And then he does. I couldn't even imagine. And then you did. This fosters such a connection of intimacy 
that you can look at that person and go, we've been through some things. We re you were with me at my worst. You kept me at my worst. You were there for me when nobody else was there. This is the kind of love that never goes away. This is depth. This is intimacy, and it takes time. It takes time. Failing in the thing that you kept telling yourself, I hate failing at. Repeatedly doing the thing that you wish you could just stop. Reading every book, reading every scripture, and it still, it shows back up. But you keep running to him and he's still there. That creates intimacy based off of trust. Not him to you, but you to him. You need to experience the depth of his love. And unfortunately, the only way you're going to know it is through the plentitude of your mistakes. while you come to me, Pastor, I can't believe I did it. Yeah, it happens. It happens? I'm going to need you to give me something more than that, Pastor. You want me to condemn you. Tell me how terrible I am. Tell me how the devil used me. Tell me how I should be grateful to even be in the presence of God at all. Tell me how I should just run out and lead the church. I will not. I think you're beating yourself up enough for both of us. Did you repent? Yes, ma'am. All right, we're done. We're done. If I see you come in my house, put your head down, what am I going to do? Lift your head up. You come in, I'm less than the lowliest of lows, and pastor knows it. That's how y'all come in. I'm just happy to be here, you know. I almost didn't even make it. I'm just be happy to be in the presence. Not even going to try to feel an ounce of joy because I don't even deserve to feel an ounce of joy. I don't even deserve to feel a bit of his presence. And I have to tell you, hold your head up. Yes. We are not going to sit in shame. We're going to recognize that he forgave you. When you hold your head down, you're not truly receiving the idea that he did forgive and his blood is sufficient. You're thinking there's still something else you're supposed to do. And that is counterintuitive to the spirit of God and the gospel. Ain't nothing else you can do. I need to fix it. I need to know. I don't want to repent until I really know that I don't want to do it no more. Oh. Repent because you're about to die. Yeah. That's good. That's good. There's no indicator that you won't do any of this again. Yeah. And the minute you get puffed up is the minute you fall. It's by the grace of God. When you know it, you know it. It's by his grace, not my 10-step program. Yeah. And some of you, it just ain't sin because you ain't had opportunity. Not because you ain't had desire. Acting like you're so spiritual. I ain't done it ever. You ain't never been close enough to do it. I ain't never smoked weed. You ain't never been bold enough to smoke weed because it's been illegal for a very long time. I ain't never done drugs. You don't even know a drug dealer. Is this really by choice or by lack of opportunity? I'm just trying to deflate your little pride, self-righteousness bubble all the way down. Amen? Amen. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Somebody needs to say this to themselves. 
When you repent and turn to him, you're developing trust and hope. It's my many failures that he has forgiven and even got close to me through the midst of that made me recognize he really does love me. And he's a really good father. It wasn't the blessings of the car. It wasn't the blessings of the job because the job gets old and now you're complaining about that one too. The car gets old and now you're complaining about that. It was not those things. What really showed me that God truly loved me is at my worst over and over and over and over. He proved and gave me the same amount of love he's always gave me. It was never anything less. If you feel like it was less, it's because you never really stepped in. You never really stepped in. You felt like I got to stand outside until I get myself together. And so I can prove that I, that I know exactly how not to get into this mess again. I know I'm belaboring, belaboring on this point and we really got to go, but I'm trying to make sure somebody hears the importance of returning back to him quickly. Amen. It's not for deliverance. It's for the depth of intimacy that you need with him. I've talked to people that have sinned over like 50 times plus that I know of, called me in the midst of it. Afterwards, pastor, help me. And every day, my prayer is the same. Lord, forgive us, for we have sinned. Heal us now. And we're off the phone. Call me again the next day, we're doing the same thing. Next day, we're doing the same thing. Eventually, eventually, you'll stop. Eventually, the joy you get from that sin is going to be so much less than the joy you get from being in his presence. Every time you come back home, you realize how much you love being at home. Every time you come back home, you be like, oh, I love being home. I love praise and worship. I love the music. I love the word. I love the singing. I love the dancing. I love the pastor. I love the people. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. You messed up? You come back? Yep, this is why I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. This happens over and over and over again until finally... You love being his presence so much that it's not the goal of deliverance you're looking for, but I don't want to not be in your presence anymore. I don't want a second where I'm not there. Not anymore. It's not worth it. I'd rather just be here right now. I love being with you more than the joy I get from that thing. That's transformation. You need transformation more than you need training. You need that. Here we focus on transformation, which is why I will not be your accountability partner because that's just training. Here's a little Scooby snack. Good job. No, 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 don't do that. Bad dog. I'm not training you. I'm here to assist in your transformation. And every time you fall, to tell you, get up and hold your head up. Hold your head up. But everybody know, nobody care. I wish somebody would say something. I'll thump them in the neck. <laughs> Who's treating you different? Anybody here? They ain't treating me different, Pastor. Okay, you let me know if they treat you different. Because when you're home, you're home. When you're home, you're home. You need that. Yes? When you repent, I'm choosing to turn from my sin, my shortcomings, my flesh, my selfishness, and to turn to Jesus. I am making an active decision to draw near to God in those difficult moments. 
When we give God our attention, God gives us his perspective. You're going in intimacy because he's not going to change your situation. He needs to change your perspective about the situation. And that's what intimacy does. Does that make sense? Yes? Do you want me to say that again? When we give God our attention, God gives us his perspective. The way saints were able to go through trials and tribulations and martyrdom, the way your pastor is able to do whatever she can do in Jesus' name is because the spirit of the Lord has changed my perception of things. Yes? When your viewpoint changes, then your thoughts change. When your thoughts change, then your feelings change because thoughts create feelings. Right? So when your mind changes, then your thoughts change. Your thoughts change, then your feelings change. When your feelings change, then your actions change. It's a whole lot easier. So you need to give God your attention when it's time to repent so that he can change your perspective. Yes? Okay. You all right? All right. The last habit I would like to share with you to develop, amongst whatever's on your list, is the habit of rest. Genesis 2, 2 through 3, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Uh, Pastor Heron gives a great uh, comment about this. The children of Israel were once enslaved in Egypt. Do you guys remember that? The children of Israel were once in bondage in, in, in Egypt. Do you remember that? They were slaves. That means they did not get a break. They said enough to eat, to sleep at the bare minimum, and get back to work. You couldn't be like, I need a day off. In slavery, you can't even take a couple hours off. You understand? Like, oh, I just need to take a Just let me catch my breath for a second. Thank you so much. No. No, this is slavery. So when the children of Israel became, began to worship the Father and left Egypt, the idea of having one day completely to rest was mind-blowing. We just get to not work all day, not make bricks, not build pyramids. What we gonna do? Chill, relax, do what blesses your heart to do. But what about the work? I'll take care of it. You'll take care of it. See, if the owner takes care of some things, then you know you're not a slave. You're just serving. Mm. The problem with days of rest and habits of rest, all right, and let's make sure we're on the same page about what rest is. <laughs> rest is a pause from the regularly scheduled program. Okay, it's not just Netflix. Rest is a form of worship, something that you know brings you closer to the Father and gives you joy. That's what resting is. The issue that I've learned is a lot of you, good, solid Christians, don't know how to rest. You don't. You don't even know how. You're like, what do I do with my hands? Now, some of y'all say, I know how to rest now. I know, I know. You rest too much? All right. But there are those of us that don't know how to rest. We think that every single moment of the day needs to be productive. 
Now, that is not the plan that God set in motion from the foundations of the earth. You are going completely against all of creation. You're supposed to know how to rest. You're supposed to know how to sit silently. Shamar came down the other day. He said, are y'all in a meeting? I was like, no. You're so quiet. Yes. You just sitting here quietly? Yes. We sit here quietly. If you're ever with me, personally, on my personal time, I don't like to talk. If you want to be around me, personally, intimately, you have to be perfectly okay with sitting around, saying nothing. You can talk if you like, but don't for, for me to be so excited about conversations. At some point, you'll start asking questions, and I'll give you this look like, well, Pastor, what do you think it? I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't have no thoughts. Talk to your friends. <laughs> I don't mind sitting silently. I could sit in my car, zero music. Sit in the house, no TV. I even watch TV in silence. I watch TV with people, she is like she does. No sound on the TV, just, and I'm literally watching it. I just don't feel like hearing all this stuff. I can get the gist of it. Same old, same old. You love him. He don't love you. Uh. Watching news is easy without sound. Especially the new channels I watch. There's always words on the screen. <laughs> Dow up. <laughs> Jones down. <laughs> All right. Never, okay, never mind. All right, let's move on. Y'all was like, that's not funny. The problem with silence is because rest should include silence. A chance for your brain to stop working so hard. The disciplines of prayer and meditation, two separate disciplines, encourage points of silence, as you guys learned last year. Yes? The thing about silence is some of us are using distractions and noise to keep yourself from addressing sin, anxiety, and insecurity. Do you have a problem with sin, anxiety, and or insecurity? Then you have a problem with silence. The TV must be on. The music must be on. Something must be happening. A conversation must be had. Somebody has to be in the house. Somebody has to do this with me. I have to think about so many things. You have a problem with just sitting because you don't want to face your insecurities. You don't want to face your anxieties. You don't want to face your sin. So the habit of silence means that as soon as everything goes quiet, your brain starts kicking at 130 miles per hour about everything wrong, everything not right, everything you didn't do right last year, this year, tomorrow, all the fears of the next day is going to hit you, what you going to do over here, how's that going to work, and you say, I got to have enough, so you can look for a distraction. Use ministry as a distraction. Isn't that right, CC? And you have a hard time. When you ask the pastor, should I go back out? And I'm looking at you like, no, you shouldn't go back out and minister. You think you should? I never sat this, this, this long without doing anything before. You don't see something wrong with that, Cece? An unlicensed and untrained minister that never sat down long enough? 
But because you have a gift, people will keep using you regardless of your emotional, mental health or stability. When I say, oh, no, you just sit down. You're like, okay, that's great. It's been three months. Can I get up? I mean, you can. Like, I'm tired of telling you no. So do whatever you want to do. You're going to learn this the hard way. You're running from something. You're running from a negative feeling. You're running from a fear. And more than anything, do you know what your consistent work tells you? That you are the result or the source of your productivity. Your consistent work says that you alone are the reason why you produce and have any success. Because if you don't do it, then it won't get done. Oh. Oh, look at we have we become God. Look at you. You really think that any level of success you had thus far was because of you. Oh, my, aren't we so diddy? You got your degrees and all, huh? Got your degrees now. Now, now, you know. You've been so used to everybody telling you how good you are that you can't stop doing the things to get them to tell you how good you are. And now you're a slave to being productive and always showing good fruit because you can't let anybody's opinion drop of you because then your opinion of yourself will drop. And apparently, you're only what people think about you. I rest often. May not be a long time, but I rest. And the part of me that says, you need to hurry up and do some stuff. I say, uh-uh, you ain't going to fool me. What I'm doing is not causing these results. This message that I put on these notes is not causing the change that you're beginning to feel in your heart. It was not what I put on this paper. It is the spirit of the Lord. The growth and momentum of the church, your character, is not by your doing. It's by the spirit of the Lord. And your inability to ever take a break keeps reflecting that. Yes. Like, I'm the reason for my success. I'm the reason for my, my production and productivity. You don't even know how to be in a family. You don't. You got to do for you to the point where you won't even let other people do for you. Because if other people do for you, then it would appear as if that you can't do something for yourself and that makes you feel insecure. You'll give to everybody else, but you won't let them give to you. Sheena used to do that to me all the time. She'll give to me, but she wouldn't take from me. She said, because I ain't had no real job. But then I realized, it's how you feel about receiving. You feel less than when somebody has to give something to you. So you won't let me give to you. So now I'm like, well, I'm going to have to stop receiving from you because apparently every time I receive from you, you think I'm less than a human. I'm less than because I'm in need. See, that ain't, that ain't true. It wasn't true for her. But when you can't receive, it's because you feel insecure about receiving. So then when somebody wants to give, when somebody gets something from you, then I'm like, oh, so you think I'm, you know, I'm really lump lump because I'm in need? I'm the neediest person in this church. And I do not mind. I need somebody to find my glasses. I need somebody to tell me where my Bible at. Anybody see my dog? Anybody see Roman? 
I'm the neediest person in this house. I have so many people that serve and supply needs for me, but I do not have a problem receiving them and I do not have a problem serving. The root issue of you not being able to receive is selfishness because you're afraid if I receive from you, then you will expect something from I can't, I can't receive this from you because I'm not prepared to do the same thing for you. You're going to inconvenience me. I don't, I don't like being inconvenienced. You say, well, I wouldn't want to inconvenience anybody. No, you wouldn't want anybody to inconvenience you. You find if somebody asks you to do the same thing, it would be an inconvenience to your time. But what's wrong with that? You know, you could serve and be inconvenienced. You don't serve just because it's convenient. You serve because it's inconvenient. There's nothing wrong with inconveniencing someone or being inconvenienced. Because anybody that served me, if they ever show a hint that I have inconvenienced them, you don't have to serve me anymore. It's fine. If inconveniencing is a problem, now I know it's an inconvenience. Could you please go to the church? It's 12 o'clock and find my glasses. <laughs> I had three people say, sure, not a problem, pastor, not a problem. <laughs> Only to find out that my glasses was at my house. Oh, I felt so bad. I said, guys, I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Shamar is often bewildered at the extent that people will actually go to serve me, <laughs> but he doesn't see the extents to which I go to serve them. My service is not as visible because he can't be in my meetings. He can't be on my phone calls. You understand what I'm saying, right? It's tough. There's nothing wrong with being inconvenienced. They will say, pastor, I don't mind. Not that it's, it's not a Difficult, it is. It's just that I don't mind. And it's inconvenient, but I don't mind. It's a sacrifice, but I don't mind. It's hard, but I don't mind. It's not what I wanted, but I don't mind. That establishes so much love and intimacy in relationships. The reason why you don't have any real friends is because you don't know how to let that go. You think always being there for them makes you a good friend. They know it's fake because you won't let them be there for you. Then you claim people use you. No, they don't. No, they don't. You establish this is a one-way street. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. Nobody feels connected that way. Do you understand? I let people serve me, and I serve them. We fine. Pastor, I'll buy your lunch. Thank you. I don't ever say, no, thank you. Shamar's like, because I got your lunch. Oh, thank you, baby. Now, he ain't got no money, but he, whatever he had, he used. Thank you. The idea here is everybody loves reciprocity and relationships. Learning to rest from having to do everything yourself also allows other people to do stuff for you, and it is a mutual relationship. Versus one-sided, and that's not good. 
All right, we done? Do you understand rest? It's a lackluster uh, conclusion here. Sabbath is freedom from producing something of ourselves. Sabbath is freedom from producing something ourselves. We find the freedom to move from being productive to being present. Being present. Even now you're thinking, is she almost done? Because I got to do something after church. <laughs> after church, robbing you of the present time. I mean, I understand, but still not healthy. The reality is this, never resting doesn't accelerate the work of God in your life. It corrupts it. Never resting does not accelerate the work of God in our life. It corrupts it. At the top of the year in this house, every year, all non-functioning departments that are necessary for service take a sabbatical for one month. Hello? Even at the detriment of our budget. Yes? The detriment of us not having a smooth running church service. Every department sits down for a month to rest. And if you're on paid contract, we still pay you for that month while you're resting. Teaching you that your productivity is not coming from you, but from the Lord. So rest. Learn to rest. It frees you from the idea of production to being present. last thing I'm going to share on that. They did a survey and discovered that the people that have the most joy in their lives are not the people that had grand events that brought them joy, like getting married, having children, winning the lottery. And sometimes we think that the people that are walking around happy, like they must have had some kind of different insides than the rest of us, right? Or they must have found a trick to it, and they just they keep getting what they want, and it keeps happening, and so they get happy. Uh, statistically, they proved that the people that have the most joy in their lives are the people that find joy in everyday events. And that they tend to have happiness over the people that are constantly working towards a goal that they think will bring them happiness. Mm-hmm. The people that find joy in everyday things holistically surveyed happier in their lives than the people that are working towards a goal that they thought would bring them happiness, even after they accomplish the thing. Their happiness levels are still lower than the ones that find joy in everything. Good. Resting allows your brain, to st when you get back to work, to start finding joy in different things. I can't stand being around people that can't find the silver lining of anything. You come to me with that loser talk, my life is terrible, everything is bad. And if, if I say, well, name something good, I can't. Because we're winners. We're winners, not losers, right? So we find the goodness that God has done in everything. The more you're able to do that, the happier your life. The less you're able to do it, the more miserable your life is. Yeah. And we be looking at you like, poor thing. Everything about your life sucks. Now, we could have the same problems. But you think you're built different. 
No, you're not. You have different habits. You're not built a different human being. You just have really poor habits of noticing the negative more than you've trained yourself to notice the positive. That's training. You have to work at that. Looking for a good thing that could come out of this, looking for the hand of God in a terrible situation, this takes effort and work. And intimacy with God allows it to be more clearly seen, but it still took effort. If you want to be happy in your life, you have to do the work. And it's not accomplishing stuff. It's looking for what God is doing on everything. When you don't train your brain for that, you are depressed. And your depression ain't really chronic. It's just bad habits. You're not silent. You don't rest. You're not reciprocal in relationships. You don't take time and consistency and in depth with God. You're rushing. You're goal-oriented rather than relationship-oriented. You're missing out on what real life is. Yeah. Trying to get to the next thing that you could accomplish, the next thing that you can get done, the next goal, the next problem, the next ministry, the next size, the next degree. Just always looking for something, and you're miserable the entire time. Yes, you're going to go back and look for vices. Yes, you're going to look for things that's going to numb the pain. Yes, you're going to look for ways to get out of it because you're miserable. Develop a very consistent mindset of looking for positive. Outside of, you know, a recent trauma, you're capable. You're capable. You're capable. Sometimes we don't let ourselves find the positive in anything because we have a secret desire and we need the discouragement to fuel the desire. I can't think of how it could turn out good. I can't think of how it's not that bad because secretly I know every time I feel this way, I go back to smoking. Every time I feel this way, I go back to this. Every time I feel this way, you already know that you still desire to go back to this thing. And it's not the discouragement that fuels the desire. I mean, it's not the, it's the, not the discouragement that fuels, it's the desire that fuels the discouragement. So now when I tell you, look at how God can at least do this, you don't want to see it. Well, look at how God can do doing that. You don't want to see that because you know what your body is really craving what your heart is really after, and it ain't resolution. Huh? So what we're really revealing is the nature of your spirit. You don't like that. Yeah, you got the Holy Spirit, but your spirit down bad. Like your insides have been corrupted. Because you don't want to acknowledge that you're trying to spiral downward so that you could have a reason to go after this thing. To go back to your old ways. But if the Lord would just bless you to call me. In the midst of that spiral. I'm going to give you some words of advice and wise counsel. By Jesus' name. You should take it. Because not taking it indicates. You always wanted to do that in the first place. You did. You want us to feel bad for you. I mean, we will, but we know it didn't have to be that way. Standing all over the house. <laughs>